morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to church this morning as we worship our triune God here. And also welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning, our regular guests and those watching via the live stream. It's our prayer that we would all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the word this morning. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. This morning, the service will be led by our brother Jack Dembore, and we'll start by singing from hymn 5, verse 1. before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth amen let's sing our praise to God with Psalm 98 the verses 1 and 2 
the Lord God so that we may know our sinfulness, our need for salvation and how to live our life in thankfulness for that salvation. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Sing they out from Psalm 73 where Asaph expresses some concern about seeing the wicked flourish, but how that ends up as well with verse 1 and verse 9.
us again to be your children. And so you are our Father, Christ, our Lord, is also our brother. We together are brothers and sisters. We may enjoy communion together as members of one family, as members of one body. We thank you for that. We're a rich privilege. Help us not to lose sight of that but indeed to have gratitude so that we can be here every week again in special communion with you, that you come to be present with us in a special way, to engage in worship, that we can humble ourselves before you, that we can praise you, that we can submit to your law, to your word, to be encouraged, to be admonished, to be uplifted, to remember again that there is a saviour, that your son came. We thank you that we can celebrate that constantly, every day. We can celebrate it in special occasions like Christmas. We can celebrate it every Sunday when we open your word, when we hear the gospel, the good news of your son and all that he has done. But we can remember it throughout the week too as we go about our normal tasks, as we enjoy times of holidays, relaxation, 
whether we are busy or whether we are relaxing, help us, Lord, to remember who you are, to remember what you have done, to remember that we are your chosen people. We belong to you. We have a reason for great joy. Help us to live that way, to live in faith and trust before you. Lord, thank you that every week throughout the year, last year, we could gather together. We could hear your word. We pray that will happen this year too. That all praise and glory goes to you. We thank you for this first Sunday where we can begin this practice again. We seek your blessing on it. That every Sunday this year too, we can meet in worship with you, with each other. Bless our communion, Lord. Help us now to be humble as we listen to your word. Help us to hear the message, the message of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Keep sin and distractions away from us. Work in our hearts a willingness to love you, to hear your word. We come to you in the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus the Christ. Amen. This morning I may read a sermon to you prepared by Reverend Reuben Breedenoff, and he's chosen his reading Isaiah chapter 10 from verse 5 through to 34. You can find that on page 682 of the Guest Bible. Isaiah chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy cut off nations, not a few. For he says, are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kalno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols, as I have done to Samaria and her images? When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull I bring down those who sit on thrones. 
My hand has found like a nest the wealth of the peoples, and as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who used with it, or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it, as if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood? Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forests and of his fruitful land the Lord will destroy, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnants of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end, as decreed, in the midst of all the earth. Therefore, says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you, as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end, and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them as a whip, as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. And his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. In that day his burden will depart from your shoulder, and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. He has come to Aeth, he has passed through Migron. At Michmash he stores his baggage. They have crossed over the pass. Geber they lodge for the night. Rama trembles, Gibeah of Saul is fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Galam. Give attention, O Laish. O poor Anathoth. Madmena is in flight. The inhabitants of Geban flee for safety. This very day he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe. And Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. In response to God's word, we'll sing from Psalm 2, where we see God responding to those kings and authorities and rulers of the earth who think that they have the power and authority. Sing verse 1, 3, and 4.
text that we will look at this morning is taken from the next chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, the first 10 verses. Isaiah chapter 11 from verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Beloved, when you look around the world, you see there's a lot going wrong. People who don't care at all about God are thriving. The tide of our culture is quickly turning in toward dangerous places. Just go to the public library or onto Netflix or YouTube and you're already confronted with so many godless values. People talk about justice and equity, but they're really meaning justice for some, and they're actually looking for a revolution. Meanwhile, we see wars and disasters and so much misery. If you dwell on these things, maybe if you read the news too much every day, you might despair. What's next? Where is this all going to end up? God is the Lord, but perhaps we wonder sometimes, where is the evidence of that? What is God doing with this world? And then we turn to the Gospel of Isaiah, 
and his account of the Lord's great glory. Back in chapter 9, he tells us about a child who is to be born, a son, and the government will be upon his shoulders. This promised one will sit on David's throne to govern in true justice. In Isaiah's time, maybe the people weren't so sure about that promise anymore. God said that great kings would come from David's house, but so many of them were disappointing. The cowardly Ahaz was just the latest one to show himself faithless and to fail to give good leadership. But God is not done with the house of David. Instead of another poor leader, God will raise up a king who is filled with his spirit. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. It's interesting that Jesse is mentioned here and not David. God probably wants to remind everyone of the very humble beginnings of the kingship. David was certainly not born as a noble prince with a silver spoon in his mouth, but he was the youngest son of the farmer Jesse, reared in the country village of Bethlehem and trained as a shepherd. Like God loves to do, he brought something great from this small beginning and God would do it again. Well, this is what's going to happen. A branch shall grow out of Jesse's roots. Isaiah likes the imagery of the forest. At the end of chapter 10, he says, Assyria will be cut down like a tall tree, lopped off, never to grow back. But Isaiah also told us in chapter 6, that new life will come from Israel's burned out stump. So for Judah, a branch will grow as God restores what is broken. The stem of Jesse and the branch of David don't look like much, but God will raise up a glorious king and saviour. So our theme this morning is the broken world has great hope in the coming root of Jesse. We see three points. The spirit who fills him the righteousness by which he judges, and the peace that he brings. First, the root of Jesse, the spirit who fills him. If you take a quick glance at verse 2, a word jumps out. The spirit. Isaiah says about the root of Jesse that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. He'll be a spirit who gives him many gifts, wisdom, understanding, and counsel. Not that the Lord had never given his spirit before. The Old Testament tells us about many people who had received the spirit of the Lord so they'd be ready to serve him. Think of Joseph young man in whom was God's spirit. Or Bezalel, one of the craftsmen of the tabernacle, equipped by the spirit. 
The Spirit moved among the judges too, men like Othniel or even Samson. Kings like David and prophets like Micah were blessed by the Spirit and you could see his mighty work in them. For the Spirit brings good wherever he goes. It is only through the moving of the Spirit that a person can be faithful and fruitful for God. When Jesse's great offspring comes, the Spirit's holy presence will mark his life. The Christ will live not according to the sinfulness and selfishness of the human spirit, but the coming King will stand apart, the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him. And the Spirit will supply him with everything he needs to be a good and faithful king. What kind of spirit? A spirit of wisdom and understanding. Verse 2. Scripture calls a person wise whose life is lived in constant communion with God. A wise person can make the right decision at the right time because he is always thinking about how the Lord would want him to go. You can't study for this kind of wisdom. It's gained by those who truly fear God. One of the ways Christ would be remarkable is through his spirit of understanding. Verse 2. Jesus had a deep insight into people, a penetrating knowledge of who they really are. In our life, we're sometimes blessed to have someone who understands us, who truly gets us and knows our heart. You'll know how rare that is and what a blessing that is, which makes Christ's ability so amazing. John writes in his gospel that Jesus knew what was in a person. He sees into the deepest places of every person. This makes him an effective king and a great saviour. To render good judgments, kings needed this ability to see through the facade that people put up and to discern what motivates and moves them. The son of David has this understanding, which in turn gives him a true compassion for us. He knows how sinners struggle, how we are tempted. He knows that we need constant help. And when you ask him, he gives help. The spirit resting on him will be the spirit of counsel and might, verse 2. The word for counsel describes plans and decisions. Kind of like the plans you and I make at the start of every week or every year. Sometimes our plans work out, but so often they need to be revised or cancelled altogether. But the coming king will also be blessed with might, having the strength to always carry out all his decisions. Christ's counsel will not fail, but he will accomplish all that he purposes to do, 
to save his people and to glorify God. And on him will rest the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 2. These two run close together. As we said, when we revere God's holiness and God's glory, fearing his name, he grants the knowledge of how to live, how to find our way through this world. Fearing God is the key to living a good life. It's also the key to good leadership. Israel's history showed that far too many kings ruled without a fear of God. World history shows the same thing. The top desire of kings and presidents is often not to please the Lord, but they're focused on increasing their power and on accumulating wealth. Such a focus results in lying, corruption and war. It leads nowhere good. But the new king will bring so much good to his believers. Already been referring to him as the Christ. For there's no secret that Jesus is the promised son, the branch that grew from Jesse's roots. For instance, when his coming was announced to Mary, the angel said, God will give him the throne of his father David. Luke 1 verse 30. Then it was no accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Luke 2 verse 4. And during his ministry, people often cried out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. So we're not surprised when scripture says that he had upon him the spirit of the Lord. Recall also Jesus' baptism when the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. Or there's what Jesus said in his first sermon presented in the synagogue of Nazareth. He quoted from Isaiah, not our chapter, but chapter 61, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Luke 4 verse 18. God's Spirit was upon him. The Spirit would give Christ every necessary trait for faithful ministry, wisdom, understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In the Spirit's mighty power, Jesus preached and obeyed and suffered. He was faithful even to the death. Beloved, it's one of the Lord's greatest mercies that we are allowed to share in this same spirit. This fact should never cease to amaze us. The same spirit who filled Jesus now fills us. The spirit of the Lord enters us with mighty power and speaks to us as a wise counsellor. And we need his nearness every day. For there are things that God is calling you to do. He gave Jesus a calling to be a saviour and a king. But he gives you a calling too. 
And your calling is in the place wherever God has put you today. It's in the relationships you have today. The responsibilities and the duties you have today, this coming week, this coming year, here and now, is where he seeks your service. Sometimes we might feel as if God is just asking too much. This is too hard. I can't surrender. I can't forgive. I cannot trust. But God delights to give good gifts to his children. So ask for the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. He will help, just as he helped Christ so that he could be our glorious king. Second, we see about that root of Jesse, the righteousness by which he judges. You could summarize the reign of Christ in just one word. Righteousness. This is being right and doing right in the eyes of the Lord. When the root of Jesse takes the throne, it will be clear what he seeks to do. In the first place, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Verse 3. Earthly rulers take delight in many things. They are happy when the economy is strong and when the polls are in their favour. But Christ, the King, has a very different priority. He delights in the fear of God. Meditate on that for a moment. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, finds joy in a person who loves the Lord. If you fear God, he delights in you. And it's good to look at ourselves the way God looks at us. We can feel badly about sin and failing that we have in our life. And it's right that we do. But remember too, that God delights in you. If you are battling and struggling every day, running up against all the thorns of life on this planet, but still seeking God for your strength and loving God and holding God in high honour, he delights in you. Christ is a king who cherishes those who trust in him. And he's a king who judges by truth. Verse 3, he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. On the last day, when people come to him for judgment, Christ will go by what is right. Did they fear God and keep his commands? And it's telling that Isaiah says what Christ will not do. Not judged by the sight of his eyes. And that's how we so often judge. We look at image. If someone presents well, nice clothing, good hair, an attractive profile, 
then we favour them. We feel good about a person who looks good, even if they don't care about God. But as Samuel said so long ago, people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. This makes for a good king. Christ is not biased against people, and he won't be swayed by things he's heard about a person, not deciding by the hearing of his ears, verse 3. Again, for us, sometimes just a whisper of a person's bad reputation makes us reject them. But did you hear what he did? Do you know what her family is like? Just like that. We write people off. But Christ treats everyone righteously. Verse 4. With righteousness he shall judge the poor. He is always guided by what is right. What does Isaiah mention that the poor are judged? Because these are the folks always at a disadvantage. If you're poor, you cannot compete with the rich. The rich have influence. In Isaiah's time, the rich gave bribes. And as for the poor, no one cared. Why advocate for someone who can't bring you any benefit? Why speak up for the silent? But the root of Jesse will do this. As king and judge, he will be utterly fair to a person, whether they are rich or poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth, verse 4. We said that to execute justice perfectly requires you to have perfect knowledge. People can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons, and so they're still guilty. But Christ has a knowledge of our hearts, our motives, our desires. So he can do justice. I said in the introduction that justice is a big concern today. People want to put to right the wrongdoings of the past, even overthrow society to bring that about. We see that this kind of justice quickly takes a focus on punishment. It's often mixed with some anger, some envy and bitterness. Actually, it's not so different for us. We hate to see people getting away with bad behaviour. We want people to get what they deserve and not to get what they don't deserve. And so, the warriors for social justice today cry out against white supremacy or against male oppression. At the same time, we cry out against the wicked who seem to thrive. We say it's just wrong when people get away with breaking the rules. Reading the news every day becomes an exercise in frustration. It's wrong when the godless don't have to answer for what they're doing, like their immorality. We crave justice, but we don't always see it. And so, it's a big comfort to us to have a righteous king. One day Christ will judge rightly, reward graciously, and punish fairly. 
Verse 4 says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. It's a picture of someone with so much power, he simply has to speak. With just a breath, Christ will wipe out those who oppose him, no matter who they are. When we see the world in crisis and our culture under the sway of godless people, God reminds us that the wicked cannot escape even if they are seemingly able to do whatever they please, Christ can shatter all those who oppose him. We know that this will happen because righteousness runs so deep with God. Verse 5 says about Christ, Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Hebrew words for loins and waist Describe the most intimate garments a person would wear, garments right on the skin. When you strip a person away, what do you find? What is your truest character? Who are you when no one else is around? For Christ, it is righteousness and faithfulness he remains true in everything, in every promise, in every judgment. So he is the kind of king we can trust fully, and to whom we should listen always. He won't lie, he won't fail, for righteousness is his belt. Now, after all this, we still get a bit nervous about Christ as judge. Being called before the all-knowing king on the last day is pretty daunting. Christ judges with perfect insight, penetrating and unpeeling all the layers of our heart. He knows us in the secret place. And he calls us to account. If we have hidden sins in our life today, a habit that brings us shame, an ugliness that we've carefully covered, then this is a strong motive to confess and to repent. For confessing to Christ is safe and good. The righteous judge won't hold sins against us, but he will forgive. That's the wondrous thing. The sinless one became sin for us. The righteous one was made thoroughly unrighteous. When we have a true and a living faith in Christ, he looks on us with mercy and he forgives. And when we've been forgiven, then this has a sure effect on our life. One effect relates to how we treat others. We tend to judge people, we said, but not in righteousness. We judge according to what we see. We judge according to what we might have heard. We fail to be generous and forgiving, sometimes toward fellow members, often toward our non-believing neighbours. But don't forget the mercy you have received from Christ. 
Show the same compassion and treat others with equity. Then you'll enjoy true peace. In the third place, we look at the peace that the coming root of Jesse brings. How deep does sin go? How far does our brokenness extend? Sin goes much further than our personal foes to keep God's law, and further too than sin's damage to our marriages and friendships and church life. Romans 8 says that the whole creation groans and labours. Chapter 8, verse 22. Everything has been ruined by man's unfaithfulness, their unrighteousness. And that means that the righteous king has a lot to put right. And that is what we see in this last part of our text. It's a scene that recalls the paradise of Genesis 1 and 2, when everything was very good, when there was perfect peace. The root of Jesse will unite and heal everything that has been broken and separated. This restoration is captured in a whole series of symbols of aggression and helplessness, violence and peace, now living together in harmony, in the harmony that Christ gives. The wolf shall live with the lamb, verse 6. Here are two sworn enemies, one a hunter, the other the hunted. One strong and ferocious, the other meek and helpless. How many lambs in Israel every year met their bloody end through the fangs of a wolf? You just couldn't imagine a wolf getting comfortable next to a lamb. But now they're at peace. The wolf is the lamb's guest. Likewise, the leopard and the young goat, verse 6, lying down together. The predator and the prey having a sleepover. Or the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, verse 6. Here is an unlikely trio. A tame, a tame animal, a killer, and a beast of burden. Now, the best of friends. And such will be the peace among the animals that a little child can step in and lead them. Verse 6. Humans have domesticated a few animals over the centuries, but sometimes they will still let us know that they're animals and we should stand back. If you've seen two dogs fighting, angry and snarling, you'll know not to intervene. But Isaiah sees a time when even a young child shall step in among animals who used to be at each other's throats. A little child shall lead them, for the most voracious will now become calm. Likewise, the fear of snakes is one of the most ancient human fears. But so profound will be God's peace through Christ that the nursing child will play by the cobra's hole and the winged child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Verse 8. No more fear. No more threat. No more venom. One of the questions that people often ask about this passage is, should we take it literally? Are we really expected 
to believe that a committed carnivore, such as a lion, is going to become a herbivore and eat the grass. But this is God's powerful recreating purpose. We're also given a glimpse of it in Revelation 21, where John sees a new heaven and a new earth, verse 1. And it's a place where brokenness is banished. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and no more pain. Verse 4, Revelation 21. And not just among the animals, but also among humans. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Isaiah 11, verse 9. Christ, the glorious King, the Prince of Peace, will bring an end to all the hostility and malice which fill this earth. Black and white together, Jews and Gentiles. No more wars, no more refugees, no more angry arguing and violent protesting. No more godless rebellion. No more divorce, no more funerals, no more cancer. For his resting place shall be glorious. Verse 10, when Christ returns, he will bring his peace to a perfect wholeness. Verse 10 says, in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. In the ancient world, a king would lift the banner in order to collect people together. When they saw the banner, they would know that they were being called for battle or called to hear the good news. Christ himself is the banner. He is the rallying point. For it is Christ alone who can unite people and bring them together in peace. And we look at how broken the world is today. And it seems impossible. But in small but powerful ways, we're allowed to experience his peace already. When you believe in Christ, you have peace with God because he has forgiven you. When you follow Christ, you have the sure motivation for living at peace with all the people living around you. When you know the Lord, you can face an uncertain future with a sure peace because you know his promise. So hold on to your hope. Be of good courage. Know that this world and its desires is passing away. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. Amen. Let's sing of Christ and his dominion with the Words of hymn 46.
Our prayer this morning will remember our sister Yanni Zodisma. Her sister-in-law in Holland passed away a couple of days ago. So we'll pray for the comfort of the spirit. Let's pray. Merciful Lord and Father, we thank you that we know your promises are certain and true. You promised the root of Jesse, the great son of David, the prince of peace, the king of kings. And he came. Jesus came to fulfill all your promises of the Old Testament. Prophecies of judgment, prophecies of righteousness, of holiness, of peace. And we thank you that we know he is the Christ, he is our Christ, our Saviour, who indeed lived the life of righteousness, complete and holy obedience before your throne. He lived a life in obedience to your will, also your will to heap on him the sins of the world, our sins. He bore the burden of your curse in our place. He suffered, he suffered unimaginably. And we thank you that in that suffering we are freed. He defeated sin and he defeated Satan so that even though the battle continues today, the outcome is secure. We know that he rules on high, that Satan has been overthrown and his power is limited and will one day cease. For Christ will return again. Help us to look forward to that day. As we make our plans for this new year, as we seek to do many things in our life, help us also to pray for his return. And so that the sin and misery, the aggression, the violence, the godlessness of this world will come to an end. We thank you we know that it will. Sometimes it seems so difficult when we see society more and more turning away from you and from your good laws, laws that are not only pleasing to you, but good for us, good for life, the way you design them to be. Help us to bear good witness of the peace of Christ that dwells in us as we go about our work every day. Help us to live together in strong communion as members of the same body, as brothers and sisters of the one family, to support and care for each other, to build each other up, to seek harmony, to show love. We pray, Lord, for Mrs. Zosma, who's mourning the passing away of a sister-in-law. Then, Lord, the distance can be difficult. Also, Old age can be difficult. And we pray that she may be comforted in your promises, knowing they are certain and true. There is an eternal life, a life without pain or suffering, 
without sorrow or grief, without tears anymore. We pray that you comfort her. Bless all the elderly in our midst. They suffer many different things, especially health-wise as their body slows down. We pray that you hold on to them, that they continue to look to you in faith, and that also their life bears good example to us, and that we also can learn from them. Thank you that Brother Scoof could have successful surgery this past week. Continue to bless him and his wife in their old age as well. Lord, be with each and every one of us this coming week. We pray that we may use this day to your honour and glory, that we set it aside, that we come faithfully to worship you. So this afternoon, that we come and submit to your word, that we want to know, we want to worship, we want to be with you. Work it in our hearts by that spirit, that great spirit of understanding, of wisdom and power, of knowledge and might. That spirit of Christ. Lord, we also pray now that you will bless the collections that we will take for the purpose of supporting mission in PNG. We pray that we give from the heart, willingly and faithfully, as also an act of worship, that we give you the best, the first, that we seek to use our material blessings for your kingdom. We pray, bless the work of mission. We thank you that we see many blessings there. We pray that you continue to surround all those who are on the mission field with your love, your care, your protection. And we thank you that they are able to depend on you, that they show great trust in you. And we pray that this may also bear good testimony to those who hear the gospel over there. That many hearts may turn to you and live. Lord, we come before you humbly and we pray that you hear our prayer in the name of the great King, the Root of Jesse, the great Son of David, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You do now have opportunity to give your gifts, which will be for the work of mission in Papua New Guinea this morning. After that, let's stand and sing hymn 73, verses 1, 2 and 3.
unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.